welcome to season two of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. Thank you so much for loving the stories of season one. The next 52 weeks will be no different, beginning with American roller figure skater Candace Clifford. As you sit and watch the United States compete in the Winter Olympics this month, which is your favorite event? Is it snowboarding? Skiing? Figure skating? When you see Americans setting the international precedent, do you ever wonder how they got started? Take legendary speed skater Apollo Ono, for example. Before he stepped on the ice, Ono learned on rollerblades, just as Clifford did. Now, he's in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. Clifford's skating experience never hit the ice, and she's hoping for more publicity drawn off the rink to roller figure skating, ice's twin sister. Team USA and USA Roller Sports coexist to bring roller figure skating representation around the country. Clifford is one of the premier athletes in the United States on roller skates, and her relationship with the sport goes back generations. My parents were both roller figure skaters. It's just kind of a family thing. Actually, even further back, both of my, both sets of grandparents met at roller rinks. <laughs> they weren't competitive skaters, but my parents were. Um, they even skated team together for a little bit. So by the time my sister and I were born, it kind of was like, I was in the rink when I was 10 days old. They took me to meet everyone. So by the time I was walking and my sister was born, they were like, all right, we're going to just toss skates on and see what, what happens. It was just for fun. A lot of parents will do that when they are, when they're skaters or they go to the rink a lot. So this is, that's when I first had skates on. I started competing closer to like age seven or eight. Um, and then my first nationals was 2005 and it's just gone since then. Candace and her younger sister, Ashley, are both professional roller figure skaters. Once the sisters were old enough to walk, they were put on skates, but their sport wasn't always taken as seriously. A lot of the kids from my generation of the skaters came from generational skaters. So their parents or grandparents, families that have just been involved for a really, really long time. There was that, or you went to a birthday party at a roller rink and you found out they had classes and you started doing the classes and then you were like, oh, this is cool. And you kept going and found out that you could compete. That's kind of how it's been for the last 20 years, um, which worked for a while. I, I mean, actually longer than that, it's been like that for a long time. Now things are changing because you see a lot of roller rinks closing, which is tragic because you know that's kind of where our sport has been. But as it's been changing and evolving, you see a lot of new coaches coming into the game and they're introducing it as not just like a hobby or not just something you do at a birthday party. Now it's a sport. So people are using social media marketing and connections to schools and connections with other community programs to build up sports programs as opposed to just hobbies. So the sport is evolving, which is beautiful because now people see it and they're like, oh, that's a sport. Or they're starting to hear about it and they're like, oh, you can do this. Um, and it's not just because they went to a birthday party and accidentally found out about it. It's now getting like really pushed as a sport. Even at like the world championship level, all the world or all the big competitions now have social media and they have live streaming and easier access to watch and experience these competitions and these high level athletes. So the kids can be like, oh, I want to do that. The largest and almost only difference between the figure skating you'd see if you turned on NBC's coverage and the competitions that Clifford competes in is the apparatus on the skater's foot. To be fair, it's almost the same sport. We have almost all the same disciplines. We've got the 
freestyle, which is jumps and spins. We've got dance, which is kind of like ballroom and contemporary mixed together. We've got pairs, which is freestyle with two people and team dance, which is dance with two people. And even the big events like show group and um, precision, which on ice they call synchro. Almost all the same and our judging system is pretty darn identical. Um, of course, we have major differences. Our skates are heavier, so it's it's a little bit harder. We don't have a lot, as many people doing quad jumps as ice skating does. A um, couple other differences, I guess. The There's some things that you can do on ice that you can't really do on rollers and same things with roller skates. We do spins on our back heel wheels. They're called heel spins. You can't do that on ice because your pick will go straight into the ice. So there's things that we can do a little bit more easily and things that ice does a little more easily. Um, but when it comes down to like the fundamentals, the basics, it's all pretty much the same. Every routine is precisely crafted so that the athlete seems to flow around the rink. And Clifford says that when at age 12, she began to have a say in the choreographing process, it quickly became her passion. Over the last five years, USA Roller Sports has more clearly defined techniques and moves that must be present in all routines. Clifford approves of the stricter regulations and thinks that sturdy requirements will aid in advancing the sport. It has actually changed significantly in the last five years. Um, with a lot of programs in the past, it was kind of just your creative mind and whatever you could come up with. We didn't have a lot of um, requirements or things that you had to do. And now things have changed completely. So for example, I, I do dance, which is like ballroom on skates. Um, it's primarily footwork based edges, really good control over your skate. Um, when it comes to every single turn we do though, they're all perfectly crafted to make the routine. So a footwork sequence, for example, has to have 10 turns, totally different turns, uh, five on each foot. It has to be between a rocker counter bracket and a traveling or a loop. And you have to just spread them out throughout the footwork very evenly balanced with three body movements and um, other steps for speed. But they, they have all these rules now. So now, as opposed to the past, where it's just kind of like, whatever you come up with. <laughs> now it's like, oh, we have this structure. And now you have to be creative within the structure. And it a lot of coaches don't like these changes because they think it's too confining, but it's really just like, here's a blueprint, go be creative. Um, and especially with mandatory body movements, now you see people getting really creative. And anytime I go to a competition, I see body movements I've never seen before. I've seen people doing very unique um, just positions for creativity and it's it's really cool. So now that we have all this structure, it's, it's a little different, but in the past, especially like when I was a kid, it was really just, whatever your creative brain came up with. When Clifford was 19, Team USA found her. She began competing in national and international competitions for Team USA, and her passion for roller skating grew. The first time I made it on, on Team USA was in 2015. Um, it was my first world championships. I qualified in an event called Quartet, which is um, four people, Quartet. Um, and the whole point of the event is really like to skate in sync with these four people. You do some tricks and lifts, but the whole thing is just you move as a unit and you're shifting in positions and keeping this quad unit together really nicely. So I did that back in 2015. We were actually the first quartet to go to Worlds because it was a brand new event at the time. And um, it was a really fun experience. And then I made the world team again in 2017 
and 2019 and we'll see then but I also now go to more than just world championships I was just at a competition in Florida called America's Cup which is a Pan-American competition that I've been attending for like the last six years give or take um and then a couple others I've gone to just as a representative of the United States so it was it wasn't until 2015 though that I was like when you make the team, you get the bio on the Team USA page and you get to fill out all that, which mine is vastly out of date. <laughs> I think it still says like I had just graduated high school or something <laughs> and it needs an update, but it's still cool that it's there. <laughs> I think our team did okay. So we, it was the first time anyone had done quartet in the United States. It was a brand new event. And I was skating with my sister and these two other sisters from our rank. So two sisters. We did a Romeo Juliet thing, which was very ironic and funny. It's two households. But um, <laughs> we, I mean, we had been training for most of the year, just getting used to what quartet was and trying to figure it out based off the few videos of it that existed and the rules. And it was really kind of a, not really a guessing game, but just like, we hope this looks good and we hope this works and we trained pretty hard for it. Um, we ended up 11th out of, I want to say like 32. So we didn't do too bad, <laughs> but it was definitely a learning experience. And we only got to do quartet for one year. Cause one of our girls, we pulled her out of retirement and she was like, you get one year for me. And we're like, okay, <laughs> one year's good enough. And we went to worlds with it. So it was good. But um, yeah, it was a learning experience. I think we were prepared, but um we definitely, like if we kept going, we would have had so much to learn and quartet in the last 11 years, 12 years, or sorry, <laughs> six years, five or six years has changed drastically. So it would have taken a whole other level to keep going in quartet, but we're happy with what we did. And I'm happy to hopefully one day be like teaching a quartet and get another quartet to go to Worlds because it is a really fun event. So much more fun when you're out there with other people <laughs> sometimes as opposed to just you and all the eyes on you you're there with like teammates and it's a it's a unique experience i really miss it when you get to travel and be part of representing your country it's just a different experience it's really it's really unique and it's really cool it doesn't matter how good or terrible you do at the world championships it's the experience of going there representing getting to see how other people do things it's it's unlike anything else in the States. It's really cool. So what goes into crafting the perfect routine? What happens before the choreography? Clifford says that she can tell the first time she listens to a piece of music that it's going to work. For me, whenever I, when I find the music that I'm like, yes, I get like goosebumps. And like I can, as a choreographer, I can say, okay, this is where this is, this is where this is. And like, you can actually, like for me, I can visualize the routine the way I want it. It's the same when I'm looking for music for like my athletes, I'll listen and I'm like, okay, this is the perfect time for this thing. This builds up to this. So this would be perfect for there. And it's kind of like a puzzle and it's good music when you can put that puzzle together. It's the right length of time. You only have to do minimal cutting or you can just visualize how it's gonna happen. Um, but for me, like when I'm picking my personal stuff, I'm like, I get the goosebumps. I get, I get the chills and I see the performance in my head and I'm like, that's the one, <laughs> that's the one. For dance specifically what I do, we have two routines that we have every year. So the first one is a style dance, which they actually do give us a specific style of music 
and a tempo that we need to include in the routine. Uh, that tempo is specific for a pattern. So we all have our own unique routines. Everything's a little bit different, but all of us will have one pattern that is exactly the same. Um, so it's like set out steps that you have to do in the middle of this program to a specific tempo that actually has to get approved by a music technician before you can compete. There's a whole form for it and everything. Um, but the style dance is very specific. So last season I had a Latin medley and we had to have a Roomba with a tempo of, oh gosh, I want to say one, 100, but I might be off on, oh no, 98. It was a 98 Roomba and you can go up and down by like two beats. So very specific, um, but you just have to make sure that like your music fits that tempo, you cut it in, you have enough time to get through the required steps. And then the rest of it, you have a couple different medleys you can go with. So because we were in the Latin theme, you could do a samba, you could do, um, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna blank on all the other Latin medleys right now, but it changes every year and they give us those requirements. So this year it's a little different. We're doing a modern medley. Um, our practice music was Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. This one's different this year, but we all like it because it's a little, it's kind of fresh. So our, our choices were rock, pop, techno, house, rap, like very different, but a lot of us, especially like seeing some people at this last competition, trying it out. So I'm skating Ariana Grande. I skate to Kaleo and some of his rock music. And it, it was a really interesting, diverse choice. And we like it because that gave us a lot of freedom. The only thing we had to include was a song that had a, a 104 beat tempo. And we could actually choose instead of having them tell us, okay, it's a Roomba or it's a tango. They're like, no, you can choose. Just make sure it's 104. So we had a lot of choice this year as seniors. Um, the, the juniors are different. Every age division or the two age divisions that have a style dance were different, but um, yeah, that's the one routine where they do give us specifics. As she prepares for each performance, Clifford goes through a mental checklist and a visualization of her footwork sequence. From start to finish, Clifford knows this routine, every beat, every turn. So one of the things that I do like pre-competition and even just like before I go to bed at night, like some, especially right before competition, like you listen to your music, you have to know where every movement of the hand or nod of the head, where every little piece comes together. It's just what creates the full package of the performance. So really taking your time to sit in your music and live in your music, listening to it over and over so that even if you're behind in your music, like if you're off a little bit, you're like, okay, even though like I can't do this head tilt here, two beats ahead, it'll still look good. So being able to, to identify, okay, where can I still make this look like I'm not messing up? Because the judges don't know your routine. They're not going to have it memorized. So if you know your music so well that you can pick it up and make it seem seamless, that's the whole goal. So that visualization is one of the most important parts, especially for dance skaters. It's kind of like, there's like that exhale moment that they put in movies. Like it's full, that's legit. That fully happens. There's that moment where you're just like, and it starts and you go and it's different for everyone. But like, for me, I feel like I just, I focus in on the music and I try and block out like the audience and everything. 
our whole thing for dance skaters is looking at the judges and performing to the judges. So that's what I do, but really what I'm focused on, I listen to the music and I try and hit the beats that I need to and interpret the music properly. And like the music is what really captures what you're doing. So every year when I'm choosing my music, I, I always make sure it's something that like I can really connect to. I can find like the story behind the music or whatever. So as soon as that music comes on, that's when the mindset changes. That's when my bladder's good. I don't have to pee anymore. And <laughs> it just, everything kind of settles in and you're like, okay, here's where we've got it. I'm in, I'm locked in. Clifford also acknowledged that sometimes all the visualization in the world can't prepare her for what's to come. It's all about how she reacts that matters most. So in 2015, at, right at the end of my routine, um, there was a big storm in Albuquerque where our national championships were. And I, I was in like the last 20 seconds of the routine. I'd completed all of the required elements. It was just kind of like the last part. The power in the whole building went off. The whole building, <laughs> lights, music, everything just shut off. And it's in the video still. You hear everyone just like gasp and go like, oh my God. And then it comes back on and they cut the music because they were like all freaked out. I like look over at my coach and I just remember seeing like kind of speaking with our eyes. We kind of knew they weren't going to choose me for the world championships. And it was kind of this acknowledgement of just finish it, just keep going. <laughs> and so I did. And the whole audience just erupted. Like they are just cheering me on in like the last 10 seconds of this program. And it was one of the most emotional programs I've ever like finished. I think I cried for like 15 minutes after it, like, cause too many emotions going through my head. <laughs> and I ended up that year actually in fourth place. So didn't qualify for worlds, but I was, my scores were really high. And after that program, so I almost qualified. I just didn't, but I just remember how insanely like positive it was like the audience reacting like that and me finishing this emotional program. And I don't know, it was a really good experience, even though I didn't make the team and that hurts, but it, it was more like, I got that support and I got the audience and I got everything. It was just together. And then the lights went out and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it was just something that people don't forget. And people still bring up to me, even though it was six years ago. Although she is technically a Team USA athlete, roller figure skating doesn't fall under the USOPC jurisdiction, and thus cannot allot its resources to athletes like Clifford. That includes, unfortunately, mental health assistance. I really feel like those opportunities are limited to like Olympic athletes. And because we're not an Olympic sport, we're not funded by Team USA, it's, those resources aren't really as readily available. Um, which is pretty unfortunate because it's, it's such a huge part of the sport is the mental side of it. So I know for me, like any psychologist I've worked with have been, I found them on my own. It's kind of been something like through my family's insurance or my insurance. Um, but it's not something that we really have readily available. And it's not something that I think is advertised or talked about enough in the sport. Um, we all go through our own traumas and our own issues. So not really having that, um, pushed as much is pretty unfortunate. Um, I do, I see a lot of coaches that are really trying to change this. And even if it's not like directly sponsored to team USA, because we're not Olympics, um, 
coaches are trying to talk more to their kids about this, or they're trying to set them up with therapists or trained professionals. Actually, the team that I was just training with before this competition, they're from Brazil, and they have someone traveling with them that sits down and talks to the kids. She doesn't teach them on skates or anything. She's there to sit down and talk to them between lessons and do like one-on-one -on -one psychology appointments. And I just, I thought that was the most incredible thing because you can train as hard as you want. You can work hard and hard and hard, but if you're not training up here in your head as well, there's so many things that can get in your way. And there's so many things that even, even the most trained and ready athlete can go wrong up there. Unfortunately, she's speaking about herself. When she was desperately trying to make a name for herself in the sport early on, Clifford suddenly found herself yearning to be different. The old version of her wasn't the persona she wanted to bring to Team USA. Growing up, I was always a bit more um, muscular of a skater. Figure skating, I mean, just because this is a cardio-based sport, it's like running. A lot of athletes are a lot smaller. Um, and that's not because they all starve themselves. This is a cardio-based sport, so the top athletes train a lot. We go through a lot of cardio. We eat a lot. <laughs> but in the end, because you're doing so much cardiovascular work, you really do slim down. You're, we are leaner athletes. So for me, being a more muscular athlete, I thought that, okay, if I get smaller, if I get leaner, this is going to be better for my score. This is going to boost my score. And then down to like the personal, I was like, people will like me more. I might finally get a boyfriend. I, I'm too, I'm too big. Like people, people discount me because I'm too big and I don't want them to, I want them to notice me and I want them to, to like me. Like it really came down to people's perception of me. It wasn't even my own perception of myself. Of course, I thought I was overweight and I thought, oh, I can, I don't like the way I look, but it really came down to, I was so caught up in what people were thinking of me, even though they weren't thinking that at all. And it had absolutely nothing to do with their perception of me. My brain was fully convinced that I could manipulate other people's perceptions. So for me, reducing my food, it, it was also a sense of control. When you're 14, when you're a teenager, things suck. There's no going about it. Puberty, everything sucks. And so some people find they can gain control by focusing on a sport or focusing on whatever. They, they, everyone narrows in on their own thing. If it's academics, whatnot, if it's their clothing, their appearance. For me, I felt very controlled over my food. I felt like I have this thing that no one else, other people don't really do. Like I, I'm very conscious of my food. I'm very conscious of what I eat. I eat healthy. I take care of myself. That's something that I felt I had control over. Um, so that that was a big thing as well, but it, it really was just solving the perception thing. She tried to be quicker, thinner, and have the quote, figure skater physique. In doing that, disordered eating came knocking and it threatened not only her athletic career, but also her life. So I was only about 13 or 14 at the time. I was a freshman in high school. Um, I hadn't really picked up on much. Like I knew, 
I probably knew something was wrong, but was in like full denial of it because when you're, when you're in the eating disorder cycle, your brain chemistry is all over the place and you're fully convinced that what you're doing is for your better interest and for your health. So in my mind, everything I was doing, oh, I'm preventing obesity. I'm doing this so that I skate better. Like this is making me healthier. I had, I had myself fully convinced that I was fine. It was really my parents that picked up on other things. They picked up on how little I was eating, how lethargic my skating was, how many headaches I was getting. I didn't even have too drastic of weight loss. So it wasn't like, oh, she's really skinny. We have a problem. It was, it was other things. Um, and it got to a point where my mom had given me like a health book. She had given me like resources. She'd been trying to do it herself and she knew that she couldn't. So she finally said, just for my peace of mind, let's go to the doctor. Let's talk to a doctor make sure that you're eating enough. And me being stubborn and thinking I was like totally fine. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll prove to you that I'm taking care of myself because that's what I think I'm doing. And um, lo and behold, we get to the doctor, they do an EKG and my resting heart rate was around 31 beats per minute when it should have been up near like the 50s and 60s. So without a beat, they say we're admitting you immediately. It wasn't like emaciation. There wasn't any other physical signs, but internally things were so messed up because of how little I'd been eating and how much I'd been training. So I was admitted. They drove me straight to the, the children's hospital where they had an eating disorder unit. And I was on bed rest for like three or four days straight. I was only allowed to get up to go pee and they were feeding pumping my body with nutrition and a therapist was coming in every day. It was all this stuff. It went from training and normal life in school to hospital. There was no progression. It was just immediate. And I remember when I got there, I was like, okay, what's the minimum? And like, how, how quickly can I get back to everything? Like, I just need to go back. I have, I was in advanced school, I had skating, I had everything. And I was like, yeah, this is just, this is just a day, right? And they're like, no, your minimum is three days. I'm like, okay, so I'll be out here in three days. And they're like, probably not. <laughs> but I was fully convinced. I'm like, all right, three days, I'm good. I'll be out of here. And I specifically remember like being in the room by myself before like my parents had come in and the doctors and someone, else, another girl from the unit came by. And she just goes like, oh, are you new? This, it sounds like this came straight out of a sitcom too, like a, a drama on TV. She comes over, she's like, oh, are you new? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, I think I have like a sub subclinical anorexia or something. Like I, it's not full blown. And she's like, that's what they all say. And then just walks away. And I'm like, you seem like the moody girl in like some teenage drama. Like why do you have to do that? But she was a hundred percent right. It wasn't subclinical. It was full anorexia and instead of being out in three days, like I thought I was bedridden for three days. And then finally they're like, okay, well now you can walk around a little in your room, but we're still going to use a wheelchair to, to wheel you to meals, which were literally across the hall. Like I had to get in a wheelchair, get rolled across the hall to go eat and then come back or do any group therapy or group activities. And 
I ended up being there for about 17 days. So instead of the three days that I was expecting, I was there for over two weeks. Um, and it was blood tests every other morning, weigh-ins, trying to get my vitamin or my all the different chemicals in my body properly leveled again. And the biggest thing was my heart rate. So the reason I was bedridden for four days straight was because in the middle of the night, my heart rate kept dipping below 45 beats per minute. So any, any time it dropped that low, they'd wake me up in the middle of the night. They'd have a bottle of Ensure, which I still can't look at the stuff without like cringing. And they'd make me drink it. They'd get my heart rate up. I'd be able to go back to sleep. If it dipped again, they'd have to come back in and give me more nutrients. And they would just, there was one night, I think they came in four times to wake me up. And I mean, by the time I left the hospital, my heart rate was stabilized again. Um, it was above 45 beats per minute. It, in the middle of the night, it was stable, it was good. But my brain when leaving the hospital was like, all right, well now we just get back to normal. And I remember like sitting in the car and I was like, oh, we're not going back to normal. This is gonna really suck. Cause no longer was I allowed to make my own meals. I wasn't allowed to look at labels or count anything. And even though like I mentally had it all up here and I knew how to do it without even looking, I had to really change the way I looked at food and saw food. And I wasn't allowed to control anything I was eating, which just losing that control and what that little sense of like, I'm in charge, which I was 14, I wasn't in charge of anything, but I felt like I was, it, it was hard and it was a huge transition. Um, and that year I went from competing in like four different events to just competing in one because I lost a whole like two months of training and it was heartbreaking to go to nationals in my event. I still skated all right, but I went and I got to just watch the other events I was going to compete in and not compete in them and had to make some decisions and quit certain events and just focus on my health for a while. And it was, it just wasn't easy. It was really hard but I had such a good support system around me that was helping me get through it. I had my parents who were really the ones in charge of me. My dad read so many books and my mom took me to all my therapy sessions and my sister was always there for me. So it was really my family that was there a lot. And then I had a great coach who's actually now working with me again, even though he's in another country, we work remotely and I go visit him, but he, he was right there with me the whole time and was really supportive of everything um, and made sure that I was just staying on the right track to getting better. So it, it took a long time and I was in therapy from freshman year all the way through senior year of high school, talking with um, just different people about where this all stemmed from and where it came from and these feelings of inac inadequacy and things like that. And, it wasn't like one real main source. It wasn't like, this is the problem and get rid of it and you're healthy. It was like my misrepresentation in my mind of so many different things of parents' approval and peers' approval and just this pressure on myself that like nobody would fully accept me if I wasn't absolutely perfect, if I wasn't winning everything, I wasn't valid. and. There was so much to it that took years of digesting that even now there's still some times that I'm like, 
why did you just think that? Or like, why are we here? We have step back. <laughs> where did that come from? Or where is this stress coming from? And it's it's a never ending battle. And especially with the the disorder side, the that voice in your head never fully goes away. That ED, that Ed comes back and tries to talk to you or tell you things, and you're like, oh, you're still here. Love that. <laughs> but it it takes not it's not just ignoring it. It's kind of acknowledging why it's still there to move past it and be stronger than it. But yeah, I'm doing a lot better now. I haven't, I've never got re-hospitalized, which is great. I had good therapists around me and a good support system and a lot of patience. It took a tremendous amount of self-awareness and patience on Clifford's part to get back to skating after that. But since those weeks in the hospital, she's become the best version of herself on and off the rink. She began to put her personality out into the public eye more and put less weight on their perception. She ran for positions in her high school that stood above the crowd and brought more instead of less eyes on her. It was a full 180 in her life. I was like, okay, now it matters more what's going to make me happy. Like, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy being goofy and energetic and creative. Even if it's something that the other people aren't doing, this makes me happy. And even if it doesn't make everyone happy, it might make a couple people smile. It might make some people laugh. It might, it might make a whole crowd go crazy. Who knows? But like, it, it brings me joy to do something like this. It brings me joy to be this energetic human being and not so focused on what are they going to think of me? How does this make my body look? Is this outfit okay? Like, are they saying things about me? No, I didn't care anymore. I was like, I care about what I think of me. And it, like, it seems like such a vague statement that everyone just says, oh, think only care of like, focus on what you think of yourself. But like, that really was it. It was like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I like me so much more now because now I'm doing what I like and how, what I think is fun, regardless of what they say. When a new version of Clifford came back to roller skating, her routine suddenly had new meaning. She skated to tell stories. She skated to share her own. In 2018, Clifford was inspired by Hans Zimmer's time to tell a story through her free dance of life's trials and tribulations. She set out to transform the ring into a mechanism for conversation, and it worked. We cut the music up and we created this story because the music's called Time about like going through life. So we started the routine kind of playful, innocent, and then it just progresses through heartbreak and work and what what is it life like it we had this whole story that we constructed behind it and some people like watching the routine they're like oh I fully get it like this is amazing it's really cool like this is different and a lot of people were less inclined there and they were like I don't get it it's weird so we're like okay let's make this really straightforward and I wrote this poem um and my coach at the time we had her father do the, the voiceover for it because he's got an incredible speaking voice he used to be an announcer at nationals for years so even on top of him having a great voice everyone at the national championships knew that voice because we all grew up hearing it <laughs> so it was it was something that just became this really special project that was more than just oh cool music i like it i connect let's go like it really became a whole artistic piece um i've yet to do anything as uh, 
I guess, artistic, or I've done very artistic programs since then, but that one was just so much extra that we did with the voiceover and the poem and everything. But that was definitely a more unique project on my end. And I still love that routine. It's one of my favorites. Life, where does this again? Is this the day we are born? For the day our minds awake. choose to begin living. Did we ever truly live? If you've ever felt trapped and persuaded by external factors to be someone you aren't, today's sponsor could be just the break you need. I'm so happy to have BetterHelp on for another week. Now that we've solidly arrived in 2022, how are you attempting to better yourself? Have you hit a rut? BetterHelp is the perfect resource to help get you back on the right track. BetterHelp assists in furthering that mission and reinforcing good habits. One of my overarching mental health goals is to turn season two of Closer Mentality into not only a storytelling platform, but also one which advocates for its athletes on and off the court, field, or rink. 
I don't take these episodes lightly and sometimes there's no other way to tell these stories without working through heavy topics like self-harm, depression, and anxiety. One of the best ways to reach your 2022 goals, even those which may seem insurmountable, is to follow through on healthy mental health habits by working with a licensed therapist. Now I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I'm working with BetterHelp sponsorship to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 of them around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the costs of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that with accessible financial aid options. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. Get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. As the decade anniversary of her hospitalization rolls around in March, Clifford is not only maintaining her positive mindset, but she's building off of it. She has a full year of competitions ahead of her in 2022, and she's going into another season feeling renewed. You can follow Candace's mental and physical journey through roller figure skating on Instagram at Candace Joe and Closer Mentality at Closer Mental. Welcome to season two. I have so many amazing stories ready in the coming weeks, and I'm so excited to share them with you. But until then, see you next week. Mm-hmm.